regardless of where you've been at in the past, regardless of where you currently are at right now, I believe that one of the reasons that you're here is because you want your faith to grow, you want your faith to be strengthened, you want your faith to start or be restarted. Uh, you maybe want to rediscover faith. Uh, not a religious faith that's disconnected from the real world, but a faith that impacts your real world responses, decisions, and actions, and your experience of God. Well, the great news is, is that that's what God wants for you as well. When we follow Jesus through the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the glaring things that sticks out is that Jesus is trying to build into people big, active, in spite of unshakable, extraordinary faith, trust, and confidence in God through him. And, and, and the reason for that is because of one word, and that word is relationship. God created humanity. He created you for a relationship with him. And our sin broke that relationship. And our heavenly father sent Jesus to redeem and restore and reconcile it. And what's so important that you know is that our faith in God and the quality of our relationship with Jesus, those two things are intertwined. Because as trust goes, so goes the relationship. That's true between colleagues, true between spouses, true between friends, and that's especially true between you and God. The, the more our faith in Jesus grows, the better our relationship with him will be. And the better our relationship with him is, the more God's glorified, the more we experience his power and presence in our lives, and the more he transforms us into everything that God's created us to be. The question is, how? How do we get and develop big, active, in spite of, extraordinary, go-the-distance, unshakable faith in God? The kind of faith that shows up at work, at home, in trauma, in fear and worry, in the midst of our challenges as, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The type of faith that fills us with a hope and a peace and a confidence that God is with us, that God is working, that God is there when we experience suffering and pain and hardship and trials and disappointment. Well, the reality is, is that being faithful doesn't happen by accident. God wants to grow your faith, but being full of the faith that God wants for you and the, full of the faith that you want for you doesn't by ch happen by chance. It doesn't happen by accident. Based on what Jesus taught, Jesus modeled, combined with hearing the stories of hundreds of people who have developed extraordinary faith, we've concluded that there are five faith catalysts that God uses to fuel our faith. Now, there may be more, but I'm convinced there are at least five because over and over and over and over and over when people say, here's the thing that God used to, to grow my faith and transform my faith, they always seem to fall into one of five categories. And throughout the series, we're taking a deep dive into each of these. Well, today is part four. And listen, if you're someone who wants to grow faith, develop faith, strengthen faith, rediscover faith, and you missed any of the previous weeks, I would encourage you to go back and watch because these are five catalysts that God can and wants to use to fuel your faith today and in every season that you find yourself in going forward. Well, so far we've looked at two of the five faith catalysts. A couple weeks ago we looked at practical biblical teaching. That was the first, first faith catalyst. And then last week we looked at private spiritual disciplines. We're going to dive into the third catalyst today. But before I tell you what it is, you need to know you can't go out and choose this one. You, you can't put this one on a to-do list. All you can do is learn how to navigate through this, this one and respond to it. When, when people tell their stories about their faith and trust and confidence in God growing over and over and over and over and over, you will hear them talk about a disruptive, 
unexpected event or situation that happened, and as they look back on it now, they, define, they, they, would, they, would, they would call it a defining moment. It was what I call a pivotal circumstance. Sometimes these pivotal circumstances are positive. And you hear things like, then I was awarded a scholarship, or I was given an opportunity, or then I got married, or got a promotion, or received that unexpected check in the mail, or then I had a kid. And as a result, I felt like God was with me like never before. I, I saw God working in my life. I experienced God's love and faithfulness for me in a new way, and as a result, my faith grew. But many times, and I would venture to say most times, when people tell about a pivotal circumstance that caused their faith to grow... It involves pain, suffering, disappointment, hardship, and can only be described as a minus. You hear things like, then my mom died. Then I had a miscarriage. My husband left me. Then I got laid off. My best friend betrayed me. Then I was diagnosed with cancer. And I found myself at the end of myself. And it caused me to look up for the very first time, or maybe the first time in a very long time. And I wouldn't have ever signed up for that. I, I wouldn't want to go through that again. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But some, somehow, God used it to grow my faith. Over and over and over, when people with extraordinary, unshakable, rock-solid faith tell their stories about how it happened, they talk about when they went through a painful, hard, negative, unexpected, disruptive, pivotal circumstance that God leveraged to start, restart, strengthen, grow, or fuel their faith. You'll hear something like, God entered into my life in a new and a real and a personal way, and I now know and trust that God is with me like never be, like, like I didn't before I went through that pivotal circumstance, and it probably wouldn't have happened any other way. So do you, you want to get, develop, and grow an enduring, go the distance, unshakable faith? If so, you need to know that the circumstances of life will either pivot us toward God or away from God and thus grow or erode our faith. The circumstances of our life, both positive and negative circumstances, they act as pivots. They either pivot us toward following Jesus or away from following Jesus. And when, when, when we pivot toward God in the midst of them, our faith will grow. When we pivot away, our faith will erode. After listening to hundreds of people's stories, after seeing what the writers of Scripture wrote, and from my own personal experience, I'm convinced there's an undeniable relationship between our circumstances and our faith either growing or eroding. And it's not an accidental relationship. It's an intentional relationship that God has leveraged from the very, very beginning. Beginning, As painful and as hard and as negative as our circumstances may be, God is always up to something in the midst of them. And what he's up to is leveraging them as a catalyst to fuel our faith. Listen, that's not an excuse for why bad things happen or my way of trying to defend God. This is just the way God works. And I'll tell you about why in, in just a minute. But this, this, this is so important that you know this. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose if you experience pain, 
and suffering and hardship and hurt. You don't get to choose. You will experience negative, unwanted, gut-wrenching, pivotal circumstances no matter what you believe and no matter how much faith in Jesus you have. And maybe more than anything else, these will cause, cause your faith to either grow or erode. The question is, is what makes all the difference in which way we pivot? And it's one word. And the answer is interpretation. Our circumstances in and of themselves never growed or erode our faith. It's our interpretation of the circumstances, particularly the negative ones, that determine which way we pivot. When we interpret our circumstances correctly, we will pivot toward Jesus in the midst of them. And as a result, our faith will grow. And one day, we'll look back and identify it as a defining moment in our lives. But when we don't, our faith will erode because we will pivot away from him. One of the best examples of this dynamic is in the first uh, book of our New Testament, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. In, in this story from the life of Jesus, we're going to discover that so, uh, something that's going to create a new but uncomfortable category for some of you in regards to your understanding of God. A, a category that may cause more questions than answers. In, in this story, we're going to discover that Jesus didn't just leverage negative circumstances but that he actually allows them. Here's how the story goes. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of, in towns of Galilee. When John, by the way, this is not John who wrote the Gospel of John. This is not John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. This is not John, who's Jesus' best friend. This is a guy by the name of, who came to be recognized as John the Baptist. Had the, the nickname of John, as John the Baptist. That's who he's referring to here. But when John the Baptist, who was in prison, important part of the story, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, Jesus. So let's stop there real quick. To fully appreciate the magnitude of this story, you need to know a little bit about John the Baptist. This is a man God sent an angel to his parents to before he was born to tell them that their son would be the one to prepare first century Jews for the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Son of God, who the Israelite prophets hundreds of years prior to prophesied would come. This is a man who committed his entire life to preach that the kingdom of God was at hand. It was not somewhere in the future. It was happening right now. This was a man who confronted people with their sin, who challenged them to repent, to prepare their hearts, to receive the Messiah when he arrived, and then baptized thousands of people who, who did and who associated with his message. And that's how he got nick the nickname John the Baptist. This is a man who announced, who personally announced that Jesus was the promised Messiah that they had waited hundreds of years to arrive and then he personally baptized Jesus and not only that John the Baptist was Jesus cousin he was Jesus family now knowing all of that you'd expect to God to bless John the Baptist with nothing but positive circumstances but that wasn't the case John the Baptist got on the wrong side of Herod who was the Roman ruler in the area of Judea so Herod had him unjustly arrested. And now John the Baptist was sitting in prison with no hope or reliefs, wondering if and when Herod would have him executed. All the while, the same Jesus that he announced as Messiah, 
The same Jesus he believed was Messiah. The same Jesus he saw perform many miracles. The same Jesus he knew could miraculously save him from prison wasn't saving him from prison. So he, John the Baptist, sent his disciples, his followers, to to ask him, to ask Jesus, are you the one, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? John's essentially asking, hey, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Now, why in the world would John the Baptist of all people ask Jesus that question? And you already know the answer. It was because of his present circumstance. Because he's in prison. Translates to our life. Because of the diagnosis. Because your spouse left. Because you lost everything. Because you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills. Because of the suffering. John the Baptist's expectations of Jesus as the Messiah, it wasn't matching up with his present circumstance that he found himself in. Consequently, he was in danger of slipping into what we do all the time, interpreting what he believed about Jesus through the lens of his circumstance instead of interpreting his circumstance through what he knew was true about Jesus. And understandably so, like us, John the Baptist was in danger of pivoting away from Jesus because of his present circumstance and thus eroding his faith in Jesus. (laughs) Because John's going, hey, Jesus... If you're really the son of God, you can do something about this. If you're really the Messiah, you can save me. None of this is making sense. So Jesus, help me make sense of it. And listen, wherever you're currently at in life, and you maybe never said this out loud, but I can guarantee, and I don't know your story, and I don't know all your situations, but I can almost guarantee there's been a pivotal circumstance in your life that has caused you to say or pray something like that. And for those who have a loving God wouldn't allow bad things to happen to good people theology, you'd expect this question from John the Baptist to rattle Jesus. You'd expect Jesus to respond back to John the Baptist, Baptist basically begging him, John, please don't lose faith in me, John. Give me some time, John, and John, I will come to your rescue. But Jesus wasn't rattled. And instead of responding how our God is a genie in a bottle, theology expects him to respond, He responded in a way that he knew would help John the Baptist interpret what was happening differently. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, he says, go back and tell John, I am fulfilling everything that was prophesied hundreds of years ago that I would do and that he, John, prophesied that I came to do. Tell John not to lose his faith in me, not to let his faith in me get swallowed up by his immediate circumstances. Tell, refocus his eyes, refocus his ears, refocus his attention on what's happening through me in the world. Doing so will help him interpret rightly what's happening in his life. And then what Jesus said next is shocking. Not just for John the Baptist, but for me. And you, 
And by the way, one of the reasons I believe that the Gospels, the stories of the events of Jesus' life, first four books of our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are actual events of historical documents that accurately record the life, the words, and the events of Jesus are because of stories like this one. Because if you were writing fiction in order to get people to believe in Jesus, you wouldn't write this. Everything about Jesus' next statement seems so wrong. And here's what he said. Blessed. Blessed. And you may have in your mind what that word means, but here's what that means. Being blessed by God is to experience something that can only come from God himself. Being blessed by God is not dictated by our circumstances. Being blessed by God is not defined by what's happening externally, but by what only God can give us internally despite our external circumstances. Being blessed by God is not temporary. It's eternal. And Jesus says, blessed is anyone. Anyone. That's John the Baptist. That's me. That's you. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble, who does not lose faith in God, on account of me. And your assumptions and your expectations of me and what I'm doing are what I'm not doing. Translation, John, I'm not going to come get you out. John, I'm going to allow this negative circumstance to remain in your life. And that's a new category for some of us, isn't it? Implications of this being Jesus acknowledged that his activity or lack of activity in the midst of our circumstances has the potential to pivot us away from God and thus erode our faith. His lack of activity almost eroded John the Baptist's faith, a man who we now recognize as a hero of faith. And what you need to know is that it did not end well for John the Baptist. Jesus never came to his rescue. And Herod eventually executed him. But John the Baptist died full of faith. He died with his faith intact. He died fully trusting Jesus as the Messiah and his Messiah. He died for his faith. The question is, how did he maintain his faith in the midst of this pivotal circumstance that he found himself in all the way to the brutal end? One word, interpretation. Here's how I believe John the Baptist came to interpret what, came to interpret what Jesus said to him. John, God called you to prepare the way for me as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and you did. And now for me to finish what your heavenly Father sent me to do, I have to allow this. John, I know this is hard. I know this is painful. But John, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Blessed is he who does. And evidently, that's all that John the Baptist needed to know. 
Evidently, once he interpreted that, Je- what, that Jesus was doing exactly what Jesus came to do, his faith in him grew exponentially, even though his circumstances did not change. And now Jesus looks at me, and Jesus looks at you in the midst of our pain and our loss, our abandonment, our suffering, suffering our unwanted pivotal circumstances, and he says, blessed is anyone who pivots towards me, who turns towards me, who focuses on me, who looks to me, who trusts in me, who follows me in the midst midst of those pivotal circumstances. I'm going to say something that some of you have never heard, but you need to know. God will allow. God will allow painful, hard, negative circumstances in your life. And I realize that's hard to hear because some of you are going through some pain-filled, pivotal circumstances right now. And my heart breaks for you, and so does your heavenly Father's. And could he save you from it? Yes. Will he save you from it? I don't know. All I know is that he allows pivotal circumstances. And he allows them because he loves you too much not to allow them. He allows them because of what he wants for you Every week of this series, I've said more than anything, God wants to grow and transform your faith because as trust goes, so goes the relationship. And what you need to know, and your life will be so much better the sooner that you can accept this, is that transformation rarely happens when we're comfortable. Transformation rarely happens when we're comfortable. That's true in every area of our lives, but that's especially true when it comes to our faith. That's why God will allow pain and suffering and hardship. Listen, God's not trying to do something to us by allowing pivotal circumstances. He's trying to do something in us. He's trying to transform and grow our faith. And maybe more than anything else in our lives, pivotal circumstances force us to throw our hands up and look up. And the people who choose to pivot toward him in the moments of experience, in, in those moments, experience their faith growing in a way that probably wouldn't have happened in any other way. Therefore, they experience his presence in their lives like never before, and that's what it means to truly be blessed. You don't get to choose pivotal circumstances. You don't get to choose pain, suffering, hardship, loss, and disappointment. Tragedy is part of the story for all of us. Our circumstances have the potential to pivot us away from Jesus and thus erode our faith. And we've all met people who that's happened to. Maybe you. But maybe more than anything else, the negative circumstances of life have the potential to pivot us toward Jesus and thus grow our faith. And you've met people like this before too. People who walk through what can only be described as the valley of the shadow of death. And who emerged on the other side with extraordinary, unshakable, rock-solid faith. And because of their faith, they possess a hope, a peace, and a joy that transcends all understanding. And that's the definition of blessing. There's nothing special about these people. God doesn't love these people more. The only reason their faith grew is because they chose to pivot toward God through it. There's a couple who's a part of Relevant. Their name is Jason and Barb Reasoner. And they're two people who have extraordinary faith in Jesus today. But a year and a half ago, that wasn't the case. Jason and Barb grew up believing in God, but 
had basically walked away from faith on some level. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to interview Jason and Barbara about a painful, pivotal circumstance that occurred in their life a year and a half ago, a year and a half ago, that involved their daughter Paige. A pivotal circumstance that doesn't get any more tragic, but that God used to fuel and transform their faith in him. Go ahead and take a look. So March 30th of 2022 started off to be a pretty normal day in our household. Jason was traveling for work. I was running late to get to work. Um, I woke up late that morning, was running behind, had to get to see patients. So I woke Paige up and I'm like, hey, sweetie, I need some help. Um, I need you to do these three things with the puppies outside. I'm running late. Would you mind? She's like, yeah, no problem. I'll get up and do that. I'm like, okay, great. I drive off to work. I got a text message. that went to Jason, the boys, me, my in-laws, and said, basically, thank you um, for being my family. I love you, and I'm really sorry um, for what I'm about to do. I called 911, I left everything, I drove so fast, so erratically, so crazy to get home. I knew it was too late, but I was on the phone with Colton, with Jason, with the sheriff, with the Wahoo Police Department, with all these people trying to find her. I'm like, I was on the phone with him when he found her, and he said, she has passed. I um, came around the bend and saw a sight no parent should ever have to see with ambulances, police cars, rescue people, um, and a big white sheet. And um, I'm like, I have to see her. I have to see her. And I walked down there, and I saw her. And I gave her a hug, and I kissed her, and I told her that we loved her, and we were proud of her. And I was sorry that she was hurting so badly, and we didn't know it. And then I stayed with her as long as I could and they made me leave. Jason was out of town trying to get home, trying to get home and they couldn't get him home. Unfortunately, he had some coworkers with him so he wasn't alone. And he got to the airport at the same time our son from Ohio did. They came home together. So our journey up to the, this today, you know, it started with we came um, and it seemed like every sermon oh. was pinpointed right at like us. Like you wrote them all for us. Like you, you were talking directly to us. And then the day that I stood up and got walked out um, was June 6th. Um, and you were preaching on parenting with the end in mind. And I literally, I remember almost the exact words you were saying. And I'm like, Nope, you're not going to say this to me today. I said, I'm done. And I stood up and I said, I'll be in the car. I'm out of here. And I literally got to the door and all of a sudden this sensation came over my body. And it was like, I'm here for you, man. We're on this journey together. And I really got a very calming feeling because now I knew I wasn't on this journey. Not that I was on it by myself, but now that I have somebody, a spiritual journey on me. And I just felt that. And I walked back in, I sat down and I said, I'm ready, let's let's go put my, I wanna put my faith in Jesus. And, and, I'll never forget that day because I was this close to walking away. And, and quite honestly, 
Um, I can't imagine where I would be if I had walked away that day. Her faith was strong and she believed and, I, and I'm like, I, I raised her in the church when she was young. I stepped away, she's put her faith back in Jesus and I need to lean on him too. Yeah. Um, I need to lean on him again. And you know, I guess why it brought me closer, because I had one other option and it wasn't a good one. I went to the cemetery. And I was telling my daughter I was coming to be with her. Because the pain is so hard. And then I felt a tap on my shoulder and says, this seat taken? And it was Ronnie. And right then and there I knew all these coincidences that we had seen. There were coincidences. I call them God winks now. And they're, uh, they're him just saying, I got you, man. I got you. And uh, I just know he does. I just truly know he's got me now. And uh, he's going to lead my life. I've learned that um, being transformed doesn't happen by yourself. And that the faith that God, that I have now in God, that he will never lead me into a situation I can't handle. I can't ever imagine something being worse, but I think I'm stronger in my faith now because of it. I wish I could have been stronger in my faith without going through the journey I've been on. I don't wish it on anybody to get to where I'm at right now. Um, but my, my faith is stronger than it's ever been in my life. And part of it's because I know that he's got her and he's got me. You know, Jason and Barb weren't part of Relevant, weren't part of any church before this pivotal circumstance. As you heard him say, this pivotal circumstance caused them to throw their hands up and say, God, we need you. And they chose to pivot toward him simply by starting to show up on Sundays. And the only reason they came here is because Paige was a part of Relevant and came to put her faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of her sins and leader of her life here. For the past year and a half, Jason and Barb have continually pivoted toward God daily by following Jesus one next step at a time. And through that, God has grown, transformed, and fueled their faith and trust and confidence in him. And that's why Jason can say with confidence today, I know he's got me. I know he's got me. The, the circumstances of life, particularly our negative ones, will pivot us toward or away from God, thus will grow or erode our faith. And once again, one word makes all the difference in which way we pivot, and that word is interpretation. Our circumstances in and of themselves never grow or erode our faith. The conclusions we draw about God in the midst of our circumstances do because they influence which way we pivot. They influence if we take a next step toward following Jesus or if we step away and turn from him. And how our faith is transformed is by following Jesus one next step at a time.
The pivotal circumstance that John the Baptist and that Jason and Barb Reasoner experienced had every reason to erode his faith, had every reason to erode their faith. But instead, because of how they interpreted them, God used their pivotal circumstances as catalysts to fuel their faith. And pivotal, pivotal, interpreting pivotal circumstances is a way that, in, in a way that helps us grow our faith. It isn't easy. As a matter of fact, it's extremely hard. And to make matters worse, there are many things that influence how we interpret our pivotal circumstances. I want to give you quick. I want to quickly give you three what I call interpretation influencers. Here's the first one: what we believe. The people whose faith erodes during pivotal circumstances are usually the ones who assume something about God that isn't true expect something from God that he has not promised them, or incorrectly believe that having faith in Jesus should equate to a pain-free life. This is why having a Jesus-centered faith is so important. This is why consistently putting yourself in environments that expose you to practical, biblical teaching is so important. Remember, we talked about it a few weeks ago. That was the first faith catalyst. Let me tell you something that you should absolutely believe. Let me tell you what you should absolutely believe. It's straight from the mouth of Jesus the day, that he, the day before he was crucified. And here's what he said. In this world, you will have trouble, hardship, pain, disappointment. He said, in this world, you will experience pivotal circumstances. Saying, you can and should expect suffering. And expect trouble. The people, people who pivot away from God when they experience pivotal circumstances are the one who believe that, that God is trying to do something to them. Those who pivot toward God are the ones who believe that God can and wants to leverage this pivotal circumstance to do something in them. To, to transform and grow their faith. Here, here's something else you, should, you absolutely should believe because it will greatly influence how you interpret your pivotal circumstances. God, and can't, God can and wants to use what happens to you, however painful and hard and agonizing it may be, for you. He can and wants to use what happens to you for you. Transformation rarely happens when we're comfortable. So if you want your faith to grow, I don't know what other way to say this. This is just reality. You've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you want your faith to grow, you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Here's the second interpretation influencer. Where our focus is. And this is the deepest statement I said all day, and you're going to be so glad you came. You're going to be like, I know why this guy has a degree now. You ready for this? We'll move toward what our eyes are focused on. It's pretty deep, isn't it? Wherever your eyes are focused is where you will move. So in the midst of your pivotal circumstances, where's your focus? Is it on Jesus? Or is it on the pivotal circumstance that's weighing heavy on your soul? Whatever your focus is on is where you will pivot and move toward Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he wasn't done talking yet. He says, but take heart. Take, you know, take heart by keeping your eyes focused on me because I have overcome the world. And the great news is a few days later after Jesus said these words, he literally overcame the world when he defeated death by rising from the grave. When we take our eyes and our focus off Jesus, even for just a moment, our faith will erode. Staying focused on him, his promises, his truths, his ways, how he is working, what he's inviting us into is how our faith 
grows. And that isn't always easy, especially in the midst of our pivotal circumstances. One of the things that has helped me do this is a very specific prayer. Because when, you know, when pivotal circumstances normally happen in our life, like how do we normally pray? God, help me, save me, protect me. And that prayer is understandable. We've all prayed it before. But that prayer also keeps our eyes focused on ourselves and our pivotal circumstance. A, a prayer that has helped me keep my eyes focused on Jesus in the midst of my pivotal circumstances is, Lord, help me recognize you in this. Help me recognize you. Help me see where and how you are working. When I'm in the midst of a pivotal circumstance, I pray this daily. Sometimes I pray this hourly. It helps me keep my eyes focused on Jesus and my ears open to him. It helps me interpret my pivotal circumstance differently. And here's the third interpretation uh, influencer. Who we listen to. The people we listen to will greatly influence how we interpret God's activity in the world, God's love for us, who God is, where our focus is, what we believe, our faith, what's going on in our life. In the midst of pivotal circumstances, we need to surround ourselves with the right people, people who will speak God's truth in our lives, people who will remind us of God's promises and God's faithfulness, people who will help us focus, who will help focus on Jesus, people who would just be there to listen, to pray, to support, people who will help us interpret correctly. We need to surround ourselves with people like this because as you heard Jason say, one of the things he's learned over the past year is that transformation doesn't happen in isolation. And we'll talk more about that next week. You don't get to choose pivotal circumstances. Jesus said, in this world you will, you will, you will have trouble. So do you want to get Develop and grow in enduring, go the distance, unshakable faith. Here's my question for you. Are the pivotal circumstances of life causing your faith to grow or erode? If you're in the midst of a pivotal circumstance and it's causing your faith to erode, today is the day to focus your eyes on Jesus and to turn and pivot toward him. If you do, I believe God will use this, this pivotal circumstance as a catalyst to fuel your faith. And maybe, just maybe, someday you'll look back and you'll say that that was a defining moment in my faith that probably wouldn't have happened any other way. I'll say one final thing, and it's to those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus. Those of you who have never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Maybe you're here, or maybe you're watching right now because you're in the middle of a pivotal circumstance right now. Something happened, and now you find yourself open to God in a way you haven't been before, and you're a little nervous about that. Listen, I don't believe you're here by accident. God's working in your life. Jesus is inviting you into a saving relationship with him. And being in that relationship, entering in that relationship by putting our faith in Jesus is the only way that our faith ever grows. And so today, right now, you can choose to do that. Today where you sit in this room or at home, you can choose to put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins, your savior, and the leader of your life. And then through that, you're proclaiming Jesus, I don't just want to pivot toward you right now. I want to pivot toward you and follow you every day forward.
As I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But real quick before I pray, I just want to say something to all of us. And Hey, every week when I pray, this is not a time to get your crap and get your fast shoes on to race to the door. This is a time to pray, to stop, to surrender, to listen. So don't start shifting around and doing all that stuff. This ain't a race out of here. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay wherever it is that you got to go. And I especially don't want you to do that today because we're going to end in a really, really special way. Dear Lord, my prayer for all of us, especially we're in the midst of a pivotal circumstance right now, maybe in the future, is that you help us to recognize you in this. So right now, whatever's going on in any of our lives, Lord, help us recognize you in it. Help us recognize you. Lord, for every person never put their faith in you, Jesus, and they feel that prompting, that stirring to do it, and I pray they choose to right now, where they're at, in this room at home, that right now they ask you, Jesus, they declare their, 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 their need for a Savior because of their sin. It broke that relationship. They, 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 they declare, Jesus, that you are that Savior. They believe you are because of your death and resurrection. And at this moment, I pray that they ask you to be their Savior, the forgiver of their sins, and the leader of their life, their Lord, their God. Jesus, I just don't want to end this prayer by praising you for overcoming the world. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.